Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, everyone. We have another riveting episode for you. (laughs) (laughs) We're just trying to make our way through January. January always seems like the longest month, I think. I think just because it's a new year and like especially... The last two years, we just don't know what to expect. So everybody's just like slowly going into the yeah. new year. <laughs> we hope you guys. Oh, well, I think there's like a lot of expectations placed on January because it's like all of the media, it's marketing of new year, new you. Oh, and yeah. like, here's your fresh, fresh start. And I think puts a lot of pressure, like social media does too. So I think that there's lots of expectations and you know, for schools coming back from like winter break, there's that expectation that like, oh, we're starting fresh after winter break. And it's like, sometimes putting pressure like that on kids is it just makes it worse. So like, I don't know, I was just thinking about that today. Yeah, I mean, there is. And just with the last like two years, I think everybody's over it. But guess what? The pandemic is not over. So, you know, we understand this school year is a lot more difficult than I think even the 2020-2021 school year. And for those of you wondering, that is my baby. I had a baby. I pretty much kept it on the DL. Like, I don't think I mentioned it at all on the podcast. We very rarely ever saw people for the podcast. And so I just kind of went through my pregnancy just happy and had a beautiful baby boy. So he's here with us today. So you will hear him in the background. Which I'm sure you're all used to. I know. You exactly. heard Logan all last I know year. we were just talking <laughs> about like Logan or then like Liam, like we're just full of babies, huh? We're just full of babies. Well, we are really yeah, excited. Like <laughs> yeah, we're really, really excited to have our guest, Jesse Ginsburg on today. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so excited. I'm such a big fan. I feel like you guys take such intimidating topics and make them so approachable. So I think you do an incredible job of that. Thank you. you. We're excited to have you on to kind of share a little bit different perspective of, you know, speech therapy and, you know, going through your Instagram. It's just so fun. And that's what we like to see is like pages that I don't know, don't like, I feel like you just have fun with it. Like you don't take yourself too seriously which I would have a real hard time with because like we try to go on video sometimes for our, our Instagram and I don't like being on video, but like I appreciate people who have no problem doing it. Like your videos are just fun. Oh boy. It took a while to get used to. I will tell you that. But yeah, I think on Instagram, one of the things is like, you don't follow people who just post like, buy this, buy that. Right. right. Yeah. It's a great product. Like you follow people because you want to know what's going on in their life or their stories are inspiring or intriguing or you know something that you stand for so I try to share a lot about my personal life too which sometimes is hard speaking of babies like when I talked about babies and sleep training you know you just never know what comments you're gonna get but overall it's been a great experience and way to get to know people and so Jesse, can you give people a little bit of background? So you are a speech and language pathologist, but kind of just give them a taste of your academic achievements, if you will. 
Yeah, sounds good. So yes, I'm a sensory integration trained speech language pathologist, which is probably something that you don't hear often, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. Yeah. But yeah, I went to school down in Southern California. And right after that, I moved out to Washington, D.C., where I did my clinical fellowship. And, you know, SLPs have to do a nine-month clinical fellowship. And at that time, I connected with, I didn't work at, but I connected with Jake Greenspan, who is the co-founder of the Floor Time Center. His father, who's passed away, is very, very famous and well-known for all of his autism research on floor time therapy. And that really just, it's just funny in life how one almost like inconsequential action leads to the rest of your life developing. Yep. Yep. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like that type of thing where if I had never moved to D.C. and gotten in contact with him, I honestly wouldn't be here now, which is, you know, I do a lot of training for other therapists. But yeah, so I opened my own practice right when I moved back to Los Angeles. And we are a speech clinic. We have an awesome team of therapists. Then in the past few years, I really started training other therapists in how to better support their autistic students. So that's definitely something that we would want, like more information on, like your the sensory integration. Can you kind of give a definition for our listeners? I'm sure a lot of them understand the basic tenets of it, but I mean, oh my goodness, this is something Amanda and I always like argue for. <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in yeah, IEPs. and it's such fascinating stuff because it, it applies to every single person Absolutely. on the planet. You know? Yeah, yeah. So can you kind of give a little bit of an education of what that is for our listeners? Yeah, basically sensory integration as a phrase, not as a treatment approach, but as a phrase relates to, you know, how we take in all of the different sensory information around us and how we can integrate that into our body and it dramatically affects our behavior, Mm -hmm. you know, meaning how we react to different sensory inputs and everyone under the sun has things that maybe they're a little more sensitive to or they're not you know maybe your husband always has the volume up and it's just a little too loud for you yeah yeah (laughs) yeah. or the radio in my case here um with Chris my partner surround sound over here (laughs) yeah but you know we all have different sensory inputs but that we are you know either more sensitive to or not and I think what one of the most fascinating things that I learned through all of my coursework in sensory integration was that there are many, many studies that show basically between 69 and 95% of autistic adults report that they feel they have sensory differences. So to me, learning that statistic was just mind-blowing because I realized we're speech therapists. We are working with autistic kids. Why are we not trained in sensory strategies right. when the vast majority of autistic kids have sensory differences. Yeah. To me, it was just such a clear moment where I thought we need to better understand this because kids can't learn unless mm-hmm. they're regulated. Yep. Just like we can't have conversations unless we are regulated or at least not the most efficient use of our brain. Absolutely. Or just even once you kind of break down sensory integration, like why you wouldn't want that, not even just for kiddos with autism, but for like all your kiddos. Absolutely. Um, 
think yeah, that- everyone can use strategies. I mean, we talk all the time about the things that we do as adults that we've kind of figured yeah. out over time. And I yeah. mean, I know friends that still haven't been able to figure it out, but like I have found that working out and running really helps me regulate and everyone has their own vices, but for kids, it's not as easy for them to figure out what helps them and let alone know when they can use strategies. And there's just so much there. And I feel like sensory integration is something that we fight for much more often than we should. And I just think it comes down to a lack of training. You know, we often see sensory integration as being part of what should be the qualifications under an occupational therapist. And that's what we typically see in the school districts. But it really should be something that's across the board. And so, I mean, I love that you're integrating into speech therapy because, I mean, I think I saw something on your, it was either on your Instagram or your website about, you know, we can't expect a kid to come in and make progress in even like speech sessions if they're, if they're dysregulated all the time. Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head, which is that there's such a lack of training. And I think because of this, and, you know, just listening to some of your past episodes, like your episode with, you know, Ross Green, it's like you're talking about behaviors you see in the classroom. Well, a lot of kids have sensory differences. A lot of these behaviors might come from that, you know, it's yeah. a, and we learn regulating strategies, which you kind of mentioned. Like, we know that if we spend the day with our kids at Disneyland, all we need to do is put the kids to bed and sit down in the quiet and have a glass of wine. Seriously. We know how to yeah. Yeah. regulate, right? But Absolutely. imagine a kid who is so sensitive to, you know, whatever maybe is around him visually yeah. and sound. And he's in this uh-huh. busy classroom all day. And it's mm-hmm. like he's in Disneyland and he's never getting out of there. Mm-hmm. And what happens is our body just goes into essentially fight or flight where we cannot focus on our language. We can't focus on our learning because our body is in survival mode. Absolutely. And if there's one thing that I wish people and if our podcast could help people understand, it's not just this specialized population. Everybody is affected by things. It may not all be the same. And maybe for kiddos with autism, we can say, oh, you know, for the most part, most kids are affected by this, right? But the point behind having an individualized education plan or program is because it's individualized. (laughs) And to be able to understand the, like, primal kind of way that your brain is wired and to be able to co-regulate that child it's like tremendous and like yeah when we had Ross Gray I mean he's amazing I was like fangirling all over because it's just so simple it's so simple behavior is a form of communication and if you don't want to get curious I can't tell you how many IEP meetings Amanda and I have been in or just even reviewing of records where the kid is lazy the kid is just defiant he's there's just no way that we can reach him we're gonna have to put him in a hole like and it's just like wild to me that nobody ever stops to think like like, what is this child trying to communicate? And I know to a certain right. extent, obviously you are with communication, but speech and language is so much more than just verbal communication. I mean, maybe if you could talk a little bit about the speech and language kind of component of the work that you do. Yeah, I mean, I think that what really, I guess, was the beginning of this snowball, I guess you could say, of me going down this path was I wrote this article for the ASHA leader, which is the American Speech Language Hearing Association. It's our national 
governing body. They have a magazine. So I wrote this article, which I was so scared to put out because anytime you put something out there that really comes from your soul and what you really believe in, it's so scary to wonder how people are going to react to that. Mm -hmm. But I wrote this article and the premise was, I have all these families coming into my office with newly diagnosed kids saying, my kid's not talking. He uses words sometimes, but he doesn't use them always. I'm so confused. Why isn't he using them all the time? And I mean, it was just the same pattern I was seeing over and over was the kids who weren't talking or the kids who weren't, you know, learning language were the kids who were having trouble being regulated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I noticed that when I started to shift my approach from working on let's get your kid talking to let's get your kid regulated, engaged, and intrinsically motivated to be here. It was like, you didn't even have to target language after that because the language came naturally. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We see so many cases where there's been behavioral intervention plan for years with the same thing, the same behaviors, the same issues, the same excuses of, well, they couldn't come to speech today or they couldn't go to APE today because they were pulled out because their behaviors. And, you know, you start to realize if a plan is implemented appropriately and it's the same plan year after year, maybe something else is going on because these plans should be improving behavior. And time and time again, we have kids who have had behavioral intervention plans for 10 plus years on their Mm -hmm. IEP. And it's like, Mm -hmm. when does someone sit there and say, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's more than just the need for ABA. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, it's so hard because as therapists, we get so many demands placed on us and there's so much pressure. You need to meet your goals. You need to make progress. And I think that oftentimes makes therapists feel kind of cornered into, well, if I don't do this, I'm not going to meet my goals and then I'm not going to be seen as a good therapist or, or whatnot. Um, but the reality is that we're skipping this integral foundational part, which is establishing strong relationships with kids and making it so that, you know, the adults around them are people who they feel safe and secure with and they feel connected to and they feel like they're loved unconditionally when they're with these people. And I think that that has to be at the forefront of what we do, because if we can't, you know, connect with a kid, nothing else is going to get at least you know, long-term, that's how we make the biggest difference in our kids' lives. I mean, absolutely. absolutely. So your sensory certificate program, what does that entail for if we have SLPs that are interested in in learning more? Yeah, so it's a program where essentially therapists from, we have therapists now from all over the world, which shocked me. (laughs) I did not (laughs) think it was going to turn into that. But it's been so incredible. So basically, they come into the program, they have access to a bunch of trainings where they learn all about the sensory system, and then they get to learn how to do their own kind of sensory assessment, and then how they can use the information that they've gathered from that assessment to create their lesson plans. 
So we try to make it really specific for therapists so that not only are they getting a lot of training, but they're getting a lot of support with implementation. So as the program has grown, you know, the team has grown so that we can really support everyone as they're going through that and make sure that they feel really confident when they leave. And yeah, I've just been really humbled and overwhelmed by the response from people who have gone through it so far. Well, it's so needed. I think that's the number one thing that we hear from teachers and, you know, support staff is they just need more help. And if that could start with, you know, the support staff, occupational therapists, that's where we typically hear like sensory diets and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's all like, that's the thing that really grinds my gears is like, you have speech over here, then you have OT here, and then you have the teacher here, and then you have the sped teacher here. And it's like, you guys, we're all together in this, like, we need to all be working together and I know I had mentioned this before, but Amanda was talking about an IP she just went to where they just didn't understand what you want collaboration between the teacher and the sped teacher or whatever it was. But like, we see that like time and time again, it's just like, we should all be on the same page. Like we should all be taking from each other. And, and so I bet that you've just been overwhelmed with the amount of people that are like, this is amazing. Like give us more. Right. Um, because yeah, because it's you know, when we get kids who come in who are dysregulated in the past, the only solution was refer them to OT. Wow. That's not your area of expertise. So we need to send them over to this person who may or may not have the expertise either. Right. Right. And it was like, okay, if we give them 30 minutes a week with their OT, then they're magically going to be regulated the other 23.5 hours of the day. Right. You know, it's like, it doesn't work like that. And for a lot of our kids, they need constant either sensory input strategies or just, you know, accommodations, modifications to the environment in order to maintain a state of regulation. So, you know, a kid going to OT on Tuesday and then seeing me on Thursday, like, sure, I'm not saying that the OT is not helping. Of course, we always have our kids go to OT. Right. The point, you know, is that we also need to understand how to use these strategies. And it's a really complex topic. You know, I think that People say, you know what? I'm going to start doing sensory. Here's a sensory bin. I am doing Mm -hmm. sensory. I've got a sensory bin. And, you know, it's just, there's so much more to it than that. So, and it's really crazy how different inputs can really affect a child's, Mm -hmm. you know, level of arousal, their regulation levels. It's definitely something, you know, that we want therapists to feel really confident and trained in doing. Right. And feel like they can really collaborate with the entire team because that consistency is so important, not just so that the child has that consistency. But I think the second part of it that I think a lot of miss is the teaching up to the child, the regulation strategies, right? That, you know, this is why the why behind it, right? Otherwise, we have so many kids being told, well, go utilize this toy or, or go use this swing or do this or do that. And there's never the connection with them of why am I doing this? So that mm-hmm. one day they will initiate themselves and have it as part of their daily routine. Because I think like we're not doing enough of that having explaining to kids why we're doing things. And I think it goes so much to, you know, if we're working on something that is internal in their body, I think that they should have some of that input and understanding because, I mean, that's how they're going to eventually learn to do it themselves. 
Right. And they have to understand in order to, you know, move into that self-advocacy piece, which I love the connection or the link between sensory and speech therapists. I feel like self-advocacy is that link, which is we are the ones helping our kids communicate. So Mm -hmm. once we know, you know, once they know what feels good to their own body, we want them to be able to communicate that. And I saw you guys had Dr. Karen Wilson on your show recently, who's a friend of mine. Oh my gosh. And yeah, I talked about this actually on her podcast a few months ago, but the part that's so tricky to me and the challenge I have that, and I don't have the answer to Mm. this, I wish I did, but is how all of this sensory work and communication intersects with how kids you know, get to be in their classroom, because Mm. as much as we could teach kids sensory strategies, and we could teach them, you know, how to advocate for their sensory needs, if they're not in a classroom where a teacher is going to honor that, Uh then, you know, what good is it for? So we might be able to teach Johnny to say to his teacher, like, hey, I feel like I really need to move around. Is it okay if I stand in the back of the class instead of sit at my desk? Or do you mind if I just, you know, take a lap around school and come back without a teacher who says yes, then, you know, we're kind of at a standstill. You label the student that is trying to just get avoid work or be defiant. Right. And I think, you know, the way that we approach that is that we have a conversation with that at the IEP meeting. I think that it's tougher for the kiddos because oftentimes the as needed, right? Like, oh, he can get up and take breaks as needed. And then it has to be child-led and we're adultifying the fifth grader, right? It really should be coming from the adults. That's how children learn. Yes, they learn from other kids, but they also learn from us as well. And so if you don't have a teacher that may be prepping, and it's fantastic if through speech they're able to learn and advocate for their own sensory needs, but everybody needs to know that, this is happening, right? So then if you just kind of are in this like isolated area and yeah, it's not across all board, like we would even want that to happen with private speech. We would, you know, a lot of times kiddos have private speech or they're like at home, like everybody needs to be on the same page. And and that's what's frustrating to Amanda and I, because even when we try to connect everybody, they want to be so like separate or, you know, they're not realizing, hey, you know, what we're doing actually helps the kiddo not just in this specific instance, but probably throughout their life. So for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely, you know, the main goal. And I think you bring up a really great point, which is that when sensory is presented as a break, I think that gets teachers thinking that it's a break. But like, why can't sensory just be integrated into the classroom or into what they're already doing? Right. You know, because we have like a lot of kids where I'm sure you've heard this, but the teachers say like, no, you can't have a fidget toy because it's too distracting to the other kids. Yep. You know, but there are so many ways where sensory could be like if a kid needs to stand in the back of the class instead of sit, like why should that matter? Oh, (laughs) you know, absolutely. um, It doesn't have to be considered a break just if he's listening, but he's listening in the back of the class. So I think it's a big part of how we present it as well. One of my best friends from law school, when we were studying for the bar, he literally had to be like G-chatting and I'm probably dating myself. That's a feature on Gmail where you could chat with other people, kind of like AOL Messenger. But anyway, and like he would have to be chatting with like other people 
to be able to sit and listen. Like we, all of our brains are like so different. And like, of course I would have to like be listening. I can't be distracted, you know, and I have to take notes. But those are some of the things that like, some teachers are really great at it. They just, they flow in their classroom. They have musical transitions or, you know, whatever. But, you know, if we are not sharing that information and that's probably why Amanda and I, you know, when we follow a child year from year, like we'll remember that stuff. We always try to get it put in the IEP and we get it. Sometimes it's a teaching strategy and we can't necessarily have control. But when it works for this kid, what teacher is going to say, no, I don't want to do that. Now, we've encountered teachers that are just like, no, I don't like if everybody's, you know, no water bottles, for instance, that we can't even have water bottles. Like we had to put it in the IEP that this kid needed a water bottle. And that was just for like health reasons. Right. But wow. I don't want it to be that. That's just our experience at the most extreme. But for the most part, when you're saying teacher X, like this is what we do at home, or this is what private speech does, or this is what I'm doing in speech. Of course, the teacher's going to be like, whatever I need to do to help this kiddo. So I can only imagine, yeah, sometimes the frustration that you see if you're not getting that teamwork. Yeah, and recently on one of your episodes, you guys talked about how, you know, if it's not in the IEP, then how are, like, substitutes supposed to know? How are aides supposed to know when they're switching in and out? Which I loved and such a great point, you know, because our goal here, which you brought up earlier, is the future for this child, right? And that's the work that we do, like maybe day to day, what we're looking at is how can we help our kids access the curriculum and how can we get them to be successful in school. But, you know, I'm constantly thinking about the big picture, which is we want kids to grow up with, you know, positive self-concepts. And my partner, Chris and I, who is also a speech pathologist, you guys might know him. He's on Instagram or TikTok as speech dude. But these are one of the main topics that we talk about in our pillow talk at night, which is, you know, how can we help kids to develop this healthy self-identity where it's okay to have systems that need different, you know, sensory inputs to feel calm and how can we get kids and other people to embrace our kids as they are and where they can grow up in a world where they feel loved and they feel appreciated. Yeah. And I think that's the other reason why it's so important. I think to be integrating some of this stuff into the day-to-day in the classroom too. Not only the fact that if it's helping this one child, it's likely to help other children in that class, but it's also teaching the kids from an early age that everybody needs different things. And it's that acceptance and understanding and helping build that community later that if we're going to have an inclusive community, you know, it starts you know, we're working on it with the adults that are in the room right now. But if we can get, you know, the next generation, if we can get today's kids to not have a bad an eye or have a second glance at something that looks different, like how much more inclusive will the next generation be? So I think anything we can do into a classroom to normalize some of these things is going to be so much better. Yes, definitely. And you know, hopefully with future generations, it will be different now with social media and a lot more people are talking about their disabilities, you know, publicly. And I do think that messages are spreading now, at least in a way that they weren't before. I had a little one over here. He's a little bit dysregulated. Um, <laughs> and I'm sorry, I kind of zone out a bit. What was the last thing that you just said? 
Oh, that, you know, I think social media is doing a cool thing because now a lot more people are online talking publicly about their disabilities. So I'm, I hope that, you know, for future generations, there will be more acceptance as people can see all this more publicly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, acceptance is the first step and then understanding. And Amanda, I have said that. And one of the reasons why we wanted to start this podcast almost now five years ago is because we just wanted to get the conversation started. I think we were at the precipice of people like doing that. But, you know, just to be, I mean, and we like to talk, right? And we've had the opportunity to speak to so many different cool people um, that it just, like, enriches our lives, right? But, yeah, I agree. Like, the work that you're doing, and I know your husband is a speech and language pathologist as well, right? Yeah. The work that you guys are doing just to get to that level of understanding, hey, let's understand these kiddos and just kiddos, not autistic kiddos, but just all kiddos. Like, let's understand where they're at. They're not little adults, right? And, you know, we have the neurodivergent brain that can react in a lot of different ways, but let's learn how to get them regulated so that they learn. And I mean, just the work that you're doing is like amazing. And we're just, we're so honored to have had you on. Thank you so much, Jesse. Oh, thank you so much for having me. We'll link all your information. Hopefully our listeners, if you're not already following Jesse on Instagram, go do it. And, you know, if you're interested in the certificate program, go take a look. You know, we'd love to have this be included in more, you know, programs, not just IEPs, but in programs in general. So go take a look at that. We'll have all that information. And, yeah, we hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much, Jesse, for being on. I'm sure we'll have to have you on again. There's so many things that we could talk about. Yes, baby parties. Uh, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. Absolutely. Jessie. All right, everybody, take care of yourselves, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.